you're visiting with us today, let me say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute incredible privilege to pastor this church. And we just want to thank you for coming. We want to thank those of you that call this church your home. Thank you for being here. When it's cold outside and you feel the sniffles, I think it's important that you get out of the house and come to church. And I don't know that there's a better time to be in church than, or at least our church, than this time right now. I don't think there's a better time for a visitor to come and visit our church than right now. And, and here's one of the reasons. is because right around this time frame is when we start doing two things. We start looking back at all that God has done this year, and then we start preparing ourselves for what we want to ask God to do next year. And so that's just kind of what, obviously we have the holidays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that, and you love all of that. But it's just something about being able to look back into 2019, we are now 11 months in, and to be able to see that all that God has done through you and through this church in this community. Matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to put in your hands an annual report that will show to you all that God has done, from salvations to baptisms to uh, community outreaches to finances to everything that we've been able to do through this church. We want to put in your hands because we want you to see all that God has done through you in 2019. And as we're gearing up to celebrate that, we also simultaneously want to step aside and say, God, what do you want to do in 2020? And how do we prepare our faith for that? And how do we get ready for that? Because it's my responsibility, and Pastor Brian was kind of alluding to this in his own way, it's my responsibility in this time of the year to prepare you to move forward in a couple of ways. The first way I want you to move forward is just in your personal devotional life with God. I just want you to be able to move forward in that. And one of the ways that we're going to help you do that is in the beginning of the year, we always do a church-wide prayer and fasting time. And so we'll talk more about that as we get closer to it, but we'll fast as a church and we'll pray as a church, and I believe personally we'll grow. Another way that we want you to do that is in serving, and as you're growing and serving and you're getting to connect with people, it's, I call it group life, whether it's small groups or dream team, you're getting together with a group of people and you're growing with them. And then also in your generosity, and that deals with your finances, and we'll touch on that a little bit, but as I'll show you today, giving goes beyond just finances. And I was watching a video for a church that was preaching uh, on this uh, similar concept, and they called the title of the sermon, The M Word. <laughs> and they were using the word money as if you get it, right? Do I have to explain any further? Okay, thank you. Um, and, and so it's just an interesting concept, but one of the things that we do as a church that I want to explain to you, because a lot of you are new to our church in the past year, and uh, you don't know that we do this, at the end of the year, we do an offering called our Purpose Prevails Offering. And the concept of it is that we're coming together and we're believing and asking God to do something in 2020, and then we're sowing our money behind that in faith and then watching what he'll do. Last year, as a one-year-old church, the very first time you ever gave, you ready for this? Victory Church gave $19,000 to Purpose Prevails. It's incredible. It's incredible. 100% of it is above tithes and offerings, or I'm sorry, it's above tithes, and we did exactly what we promised you to do. We took every bit of it, including more, and we sewed it back into the community in outreaches and events and things, and I'm going to show you that on the annual report in a couple weeks. And that's what we're going to do again this year. There's things we're wanting to do to move the church forward and to move the gospel out, and I'll talk a lot about that in the next couple of weeks. Um, but on December 8th, we're going to take that offering, December 8th, and I'm asking you to start praying today about that. The Bible says that a man should give what he has prepared in his heart, which means I'm not here to go, hey, boo, you got to give. You need to be able to pray and think through that. And then here's, as your pastor, here's what I tell you every year. If you pray and ask God what to give, and he tells you not to give anything, don't give me a dollar. Don't give the church a dollar. Don't, if, if God tells you don't give a thing, don't give anything. But if God tells you to give something, 
then give what God tells you to give. Amen? Because the concept is it isn't about me and it isn't about this church. It's about what God's wanting to do in and through you. And I think that's the best way to do it. We said that last year, and the church felt compelled to give $19,000. And then in a couple of weeks, I'll show you where we took every penny of that and sewed it in to change lives and into this community. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you got your Bibles with me, would you open up to the book of Luke, chapter 5? Luke, chapter 5. I'm going to read six verses, and then we'll jump into this thing. How many of you are excited to be in church this morning? You excited to be here? <laughs> Just making sure. Jamal, I could get saved off that last song, boy. How does that go? You worthy of our, don't do it? Okay. My wife said don't. Y'all see that? She shut me down. Don't even try, sweetheart. Just move on. Nobody wants to hear you sing. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to read 1 through 6, says, One day, as Jesus, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, and he left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, Simon is also Peter. Jesus will change Simon's name to Peter in a little bit. So when you see Simon, know it's Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Do me a favor. Look at the person beside you, and I want you to tell them the title of my sermon. Tell them, this is how you catch the woe. This is how. Now tell the person you don't like as much, you, the person you didn't choose. Tell the other person, this is how you catch the woe. Anybody know where we're going with this? Anybody in here familiar with the woe? Oh, we got one. All right. This is going to be a fun day today. Uh, don't start it. Do, do you remember your very first job? Like, like not, not babysitting or cutting grass. I mean, like your first job where you actually had to go pick up a paper paycheck, right? You remember your first job? You remember that? So, so mine was at uh, Putt-Putt Golf and Games. Y'all ever heard of this place? In Memphis, Tennessee, Putt-Putt Golf and Games, right there off of Summer Avenue. And uh, I worked on the weekend shift, so we worked Saturday and Sunday because I was still in high school. And I had different responsibilities because during the weekend, businesses would rent out Putt-Putt for uh, their business to do like a party or whatever. And, and I had responsibility, so I might have to restock drinks the whole time. I might have to operate the bumper boats the whole time. Uh, one of my jobs, which you've heard me talk about before, is I had to dress up as the Putt-Putt mascot, which was an orange golf ball. And I had on green tights which were a little bit looser than these jeans that I have on right now. And, and you can see the veins in my calf muscles. And I had to walk around and, and entertain the kids. That was fun. Nothing will do uh, good for your pride than to dress up like a massive golf ball. And so uh, that's what I did. And I would work every Saturday and Sunday. And I remember my dad taking me to pick up my very first paycheck. I was so excited because I didn't have any bills. You know, I, I might have had a phone at that age. I'm not sure. But if I did, my dad paid for it. And so I thought, man, I'm about to go get like four or $5,000 from this place. And, and I'm just going to go, I'm going to go blow it all at, you know, whatever, whatever I was doing at the time, video games probably. I'm just going to go, I cannot wait. And so my dad loaded me up in the truck and we drove to Putt-Putt and I went into the office and they handed me that white envelope with my name written on it. And I, you know, I had Putt-Putt in the corner and I ran and got back in the truck and I opened up it and I pulled out the check, just waiting to see how many zeros were going to be on this thing. And the complete amount for two weeks of work was $43.27. 
That's how valuable I was right there. That's, that's my value, right, 43 bucks. And so, and so not, if not only that was that a surprise, and believe me, it was, because I didn't understand how stuff worked back then, but then I see all of these numbers, right, on the other side of my check. Like, there's the check, but then on the other side, there's all these numbers, and I'm like, Dad, what is all this? And he's like, well, you know, it's taxes, and I'm like, what? You know, what is this? This is not going to last long, right? I won't have to do with this very long. And then all these things, but there was this number at the top that was larger than the number at the bottom that I got paid. And I was like, well, what is that? Like, did, did, was I, did I have to pay them more than I actually made to begin with? And he was like, no, no, no. He said, that is your gross pay. It's like, well, what is, you know, what's gross about it? Like, I don't really understand. And he's like, no, no, that's, he said, that's, that's what you actually got paid. Like, that's what you worked for. That's what you earned. And I'm like, well, then why, didn't, why isn't that what I have? You know, like, I'm really confused. And he goes, yeah, that's your gross pay. And he said, the amount that you actually have is called your net and that was the very first time I was ever introduced to my net pay, and I've been depressed ever since, <laughs> ever since. And, and I, I wanted to present to you with this question, and then I want to break it down a little bit. We're going to stay in these six verses the entire time, uh, and God has really shown me some stuff this week that has transformed my life, and I hope it transformed yours. But, but here's the thing I want to ask you, or, or I want to state to you, is um, we will never, but before we can ever catch the woe, we have to trust Jesus with our net. Before we can ever catch the woe, we have to trust Jesus with our net. So John chapter 5, sorry, Luke chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 said it like this. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, to Peter, and he asked him to put it out a little from the shore, and then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, watch this, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So Jesus has not only taken over Peter's boat, not only has he pushed Peter out into the middle of the lake, but now Jesus wants to use Peter's net. Now, this was the kind of net Peter would have had. And let's be honest, to you and me, there's not much value in this net. Not, most of you have not even seen a net like this, you know, definitely haven't used a net like this. And so it's real easy for us to read when Jesus asked Peter for this net, we don't really put a lot of value in what Jesus was asking Peter to give him. But understand something. To a fisherman, a net meant so much more. Okay? To a fisherman, a net meant three things. The first thing a net meant to a fisherman was his net income. It, it was the way that he made his money. It was his job. It was his paycheck. Depending on how many fish he caught is what determined how much money he would get. So it represented his treasure might be a word for it, right? The second thing that his net represented was his expertise because this is what he did for a living. This is what he was good at. He was a fisherman. So this would be kind of like your talent. And then the third thing that this net would have represented would have been his time because nothing else, Jesus was taking up his time using him out in the water in his boat. So the net for the fishermen, for Peter, would have represented those three things. It would have been his net income, it would have been his expertise, and it would have been his time. And hear me, likewise for us, when we talk about a net for us, it represents the same three things. It represents your treasure, whatever's treasure to you. It represents your talent, your expertise, and it represents your time. So anytime in the Bible that you see Jesus or the Lord asking you to give, it's going to be one of those three things. It's either going to be finances 
or talent or time. And Peter understood the commitment that Jesus was asking when he asked for his net, which is why Peter started to make excuses. I was picturing this. Peter's in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus asks him for the boat. They get out in the boat, and now Jesus says, let me use your net. And Peter starts with the excuses, right? He's like, well, here's the deal, Jesus. You've already asked me for my boat. We're in the boat. You've taken me out in the water. You're wasting my time. I washed my net. The Bible said he had washed his net, which means he was about to put it up for the day because he had gotten all of the seaweed or whatever out of it, and he was about to put it up for the day. And now Jesus wants him to use his net again. And he's like, and on top of all of that, I've already done this without success. <laughs> like last night I was just out here using this same net in this same water, and nothing happened. So here's what I pictured him saying to Jesus. He says, hey, you stick to preaching, and I'll stick to fishing, right? You, you do your thing, let me worry about mine. And this question hit my mind this week. How come we're so quick to let Jesus in our boat, but we can't trust him with our net? I'll never forget, I was 17 years old when Pastor Brian invited me to church. Started attending church, and first we were going to youth group on Wednesday night, because that's what you do. And, you know, it was hot girls and basketball, and that's all I needed, right? And then eventually, I, I cared enough about Jesus. I wanted to know enough about Jesus that I asked Pastor Brian if I'd go with him to Sunday service. And I never minded sitting in a Sunday service. Our pastor was an incredible communicator. I loved him. And I never minded hearing about Jesus because we don't mind hearing about Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. He's grace. He's mercy. He saved us. He's delivered us. He's given us a, a, a new perspective. He's put our feet on solid ground. I don't ever mind hearing about Jesus. But when they start talking about that other stuff, for you know, when they start talking about giving, they would pass these little plates around the church we were at, and I'd be sitting in the seat, and I'm about 17, maybe 18 years old at the time, and I'm getting $43 a paycheck, you know what I mean? And I'm learning about Jesus, and they and they would pass this plate around, and I'm 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 offended. Like, there's no way I'm putting anything in this. The pastor would start talking about serving, and I'd be like, no. You know, and so, so I, I was this person where I'm like, you know, I'd be in church. You can tell me about Jesus, but don't ask me for my money. You, you can tell me about Jesus, but don't ask me to serve. You can tell me about Jesus, but don't do anything that's going to take up my time. Matter of fact, you're working on your time now because the Baptists are going to get to the restaurants and I'm not going to be able to eat. You know, like, like, I mean, that's the kind of the mindset. Because I was so quick to let Jesus in my boat, but I didn't want him to use my net. Right? And I, I, I think there's a moment where I realized that whenever it came to God asking me to give, I found myself sitting in between two thoughts. One thought was whatever they were asking me to sacrifice. I got to sacrifice this. I got to sacrifice that. The other side was whatever fear or past experiences or doubts that I had from something I had experienced in my life before. So I'm stuck in between these two thoughts. I'm stuck in between the thought of sacrifice and the thought of suspicion, right? And here's what I'm learning. When you're stuck between the thought of sacrifice and the thought of suspicion, you will be guaranteed to catch one of them. And most people don't catch sacrifice. They catch suspicion. This was the problem I had with Peter. Because Peter says, 
Master, I've been on the, on the lake all night, and I didn't catch anything. I didn't catch a thing. Here, here was the problem I had with that statement. I don't think Peter was being truthful. I think Peter caught something. That night when he was on the boat in the water, I think Peter did in fact catch something. And I've worked five days on this statement, and if you don't like it, then I'm going to be very angry. <laughs> on that lake, Peter maybe didn't catch any trout, but he did catch some doubt. Right? Thank you, all seven of you. I'm, I'm not coming with any tweetable lines next week. Y'all can read your own Bibles. <laughs> Kidding. Just a joke. But I was, that was so powerful for me, man. Like, yeah, he's, he's on the, he didn't catch any trout, but he obviously caught some doubt, right? Because he's telling Jesus, why are we doing this? I did this already. It's not working. And for some reason, this ends up becoming the vernacular of Christians. Well, I've tried this before, and it didn't work before, so why do I want to do this? And the concept is we caught some doubt, right? There was a moment where we were sitting in between sacrifice or suspicion, and we caught one. And we caught suspicion. And it develops in us with all this doubt and all these lack of faith, and, and it starts to impact the way we give to God. Because I've caught doubt. And let me ask you, am, am I the only one that would happily give Jesus my net if he'd first show me the fish? Right? Am I the only one? That's fine. I'll preach to myself. So, see, Troy, here's your problem. If Jesus would have rode up in my boat and been like, hey, see all the fish right here? If I could have seen like a school of fish swimming around, and he would have said, give me your net, and I can catch them. I'd be like, oh, here you go, Jesus. Get all them fish for me. Get them up here. Brother's trying to have a fish fry. You know, I got some hot sauce. Let's get them up here. Let's get it. Let's, let's get it. But the problem is I don't see the fish. So I'm like, Jesus, if you show me the fish, I'll give you my net. Isn't that what we say? God, if you'll come through first, then I'll give. If you show me the fish first, then I'll give. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You give me your net, and then you have to trust me to see if I'll catch the fish. One of my favorite stories, and I may have shared this with you. We're, we're old enough now as a church that I often forget what I've even said. Um, I'm getting old, too. That doesn't help. I have a gray spot, like, right back here. But I'm going to be that George Clooney kind of old. You know what I mean? Like, when, you, when you're like, man, he just, he's like wine. He just gets better as he ages. You know what kind of thing? Sorry. Um, just, trying to, just trying to talk to my wife here. And so, uh, but I'll never forget this story. So, so, so let me educate some of you guys that are visiting maybe or haven't been here very long. So when we planted Victory Church, we wanted to raise a certain amount of money before we ever started the church because we wanted to pay my salary for a year so that I wouldn't have to get a job. I could focus on building the church. We wanted to get all of this. We wanted to be able to get all the kids stuff. We wanted to, so we came up with an amount of about $175,000 that we had to raise, okay? And, and we had to raise it. I think we had about a year, maybe a year and a half to raise it. We were working on it. We were going to launch the church September of 2019. In case you were here, we launched it January 2019. So we purposely took away nine good months of fundraising time. We just said, hey, do away with that. That's how much we trust God. Um, it's not what we said, but it worked out. And so Jenny at the time, Tim's wife, Jenny, she's now our nursery director. At the time, she was uh, the chief financial operator. She was watching over the finances because she is a stickler, stickler, and she's about excellence, and that's why she's over the nursery now. And, and so uh, she, she was so big on, you know, she was always, she, she's a faith person, but at the same time, she's crunching the numbers, you know. And so I think it was December maybe, and we were $65,000 below our goal. It's a lot of money, right? It's a little bit, little, little, little bit of money there. And, and so, but I was still getting in front of people and going, we're going to do it. We're going to raise it. God's going to come through. Hallelujah. Right? We're going to catch the fish. And then I get home and be like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to live in a box. And so, um, 
So I'll never forget it. Uh, and some of this, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos and stuff. We ended up going to LifePoint Clarksville, no relation to LifePoint here in Smyrna, uh, who are our parent church. And they ended up blessing us a night that Don and I went out there with a check for $65,000. They just gave us a check for $65,000 because they believed in what God was doing. And, but we hadn't told anybody yet. So the goal was met, but we hadn't told anybody yet. So the next night, Jenny and Tim come over for a meeting to discuss finances. And we, we were wanting to tell them, but we couldn't, you know, we would let Jenny open up the conversation. I wasn't going to interrupt her or anything. And so being, you know, who she is, point, she's like, look, Pastor, I love you, and I believe in the vision, but I'm looking at the numbers, and, you know, it's, you know we're, we're like a month away from launching, and you're saying we need $65,000, and I'm just sitting back grinning the whole time. Like, uh-huh, tell me more, uh-huh, uh-huh. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me. And, and it's unfair for her because she doesn't know, but I am just pulling the strings. And so I let her get to the very end, and then I look at Donna and I'm like, hey, babe, go get that check. And so she walks in the bed, and she comes in, and they had given us one of those really big, like, uh, the dude that comes to your house. I can't remember his name. And, and come, and it's not Dick Vitale, but it's something. And so... <laughs> Goes with the check, and, and we come out, and she just starts to cry. She just starts tears coming down her face crying because of the faithfulness of God. And listen, that's what God wants a lot of us to experience, to trust him in faith and watch him do something miraculous. But our problem is we want to see the miraculous first and then trust God with what we have. And it doesn't work that way. All throughout Scripture, God is asking people to give to him in their time and their talent and their treasure. But never once does he do the miracle before they give. As they give themselves, as they trust God, then comes the miracle. And this is what I want to work on about myself, is I don't want to be the guy who would happily give Jesus my net if he would first show me the fish. And I was so encouraged by Peter's response. Because Peter's in the boat, Jesus asked for the net. He knows that everything he's done has not worked. And then watch verse 5, watch how Peter responds. It says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down my net. Say that. Say, because you say so. Now, I have heard a lot of sermons. I'm 35 years old. I've listened to a lot of sermons. I've preached a good amount of sermons. And so I have read this verse probably at least 100 times. And every time I've read it, I've read it like you just read it, because you said so. I read it in that concept of like, if you tell me what to do, I'll do it, because you said so, S-O, because you said so, S-O. But this week, this week, for the very first time, I read it differently. And this time, I read it like this, because you said so, S-O-W. I didn't read because you said so, S-O. I read because you said so, S-O-W. Now, that term so is a farmer term and a lot of us aren't very familiar with it because very few of us farm in 2019 but it's very common in the bible and the concept means this to plant a seed so that it will grow that's what it means and even though a lot of us aren't familiar with the term so all of us participate in the action of sowing for example this morning some of you sowed your treasure into a Starbucks coffee. Am I right? Somebody in here got some Starbucks this morning, right? If you were on our dream team, you'd have got free coffee in the dream team care room, and you wouldn't have had to buy your Starbucks. Get the growth track, you know what I'm saying? Um, s- some of you already this morning, it is uh, 1028. Some of you have already sown some of your time into social media. Am I right? Some of you done checked your gram. You done checked the Facebook. You done checked the Twitter. Uh, I don't know what the other ones are. 
um, the dating sites, or maybe, maybe it's an early dater for you on Sunday morning, I don't know. But, but, but you've sown time into social media. Some of you this weekend, you, show, you sowed your talent into working in the garden, well, maybe not, it's cold, working on the garage, you sowed your talent into different things. Some of you in this room, you're sowing your treasure into the church. Those of you that tithe and you give, some of you are, are sowing your time into the church. Some of you were here at 6.30 in the morning to get this place rocking and rolling. Some of you were here Friday night setting this place up. You are sowing your time into the church. And many of you are sowing your talent into the church through the dream team. So look, my point is this. We're very familiar with the concept of sowing. Even though we don't say it, we all do it. And the more I saw Peter's words as because you said so, S-O-W, the more I looked at this whole scripture like this. Jesus is not asking Peter to sacrifice his net. He's asking Peter to sow it. Never looked at it that way before. Because I've always been taught in church that when you give, you make a sacrifice. Right? You need to have a sacrifice. You need to come with a sacrifice. And so when I read this, I read that Peter is sacrificing his net to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, no, he didn't sacrifice my net. Because sacrifice means to lose. So means to give so that it gets bigger. Come on. Right? So Jesus said, I asked him to sow his net. There's a difference in sacrifice and sow. There's a time for sacrifice. I'm not saying that there isn't. But when Jesus asks you to give, he's always asking you to sow. Thought more about this. I thought, man, when, when we planted victory, Darla and I gave every dime we had at the moment. Literally, like, like every savings we sold our house, every dime we got from our house, we put it all back into getting here, moving here, developing the church. We put all of our money into it, all of it. We put all of our time into it. I've told y'all some of this story before. When we first moved here, we had about six months before we launched the church, and we made a promise to ourselves that every day we were going to meet a new person and invite them to the church, every day. And so there were days where we would get home, and we'd be tired, and we'd sit on the couch, and we'd realize we didn't meet anybody new today. And so we'd get up, put our shoes back on, and go to Target and try to meet somebody. Like, that was just, it was our time. It's our time. We, we gave all of our treasure. At one time, Darla was the nursery director and involved in worship. Like, we gave it all. But here's what God's teaching me. It wasn't a sacrifice. It was a so. The, the, the more that we moved in the church, I would struggle asking our dream team to do things. Because I'd be asking them to come on Saturday and set up. And when we first started setting up, it took eight and a half hours to set the church up. Exactly. But I thank God. And it was hard for me to ask people to do that, to give up their only day off work and then turn around and come to church. And I kept going, God, I can't ask them to sacrifice. I can't ask them to make that sacrifice. And God was teaching me, you're not asking them to make a sacrifice. You're asking them to sow. Because if they were sacrificing their time, they'd be losing it. But they're spending it in a way that it's going to grow and there's going to be an impact that's bigger than they could ever imagine. And so it's sowing is what it is. It's not a sacrifice. It's sowing. Every time God asks you to give, you will respond in one of three ways. You ready? First way is this, offense. I cannot believe they would ask me to do that. That's offense. The second way you can respond is out of obligation. Well, I'll do it because he said so. And the third way is this, opportunity. You'll always see God asking you to give in those three ways. You'll either be offended by it, you'll see it as an obligation, 
or you'll see it as an opportunity. When you see it as an opportunity, you're sowing. When you see it as an obligation, you're sacrificing. When you see it as an offense, you're offended. And it's sin. So there's only three ways you can see it. And then I'm reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this, Hey, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So watch this. Did you see it? There's a concept of an opportunity being given. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What that verse is telling you is that anytime God asks you to give, in the underlining of that ask is an opportunity to experience something bigger than you. So about three months ago, my oldest nine-year-old, Veda, comes into the living room and she says, uh, Dad, I want to teach you some of the new dance moves. And I said, well, obviously, I need to know them. Look at me. I'm a natural break dancer. And so let, let me know. And so she starts doing it. She teaches me the, the, uh, the, the floss. Y'all familiar with the floss? We did this a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, you do, I'm, again, it's something like that. Um, <laughs> y'all, y'all don't want me to break it out, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> Put your left foot. That's not even my left foot. Um, <laughs> that's how bad it is. It's bad, man. Somebody get him off stage now. She says, I, I, she goes, I, I know the, the, is it the shoe? Which is stupid, but the shoe, shoe. She's like, the shoe, and she starts doing kind of a thing like this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here can do the shoe real good? Anybody? Y'all ain't, okay, just making sure. And so, so you can do, she starts doing the shoe. Uh, and, and then she says, I'm like, well, what else she got? And she goes, well, and then there's the catch the woe. I said, the what? She said, catch the woe, dad. And I love how she talks to me like I'm ignorant, right? right? <laughs> dad, catch the woe. And then she tries to explain it to me. And, and you have to have two people to explain it. Valerie, you going to help me? Is Valerie here? Valerie. Oh, you see in kids' church? Come here, girl. Come here, Valerie. Get up here on stage. I already was ready for this, all right? We, I, I need you to help show them how to catch the woe, all right? So come stand up here with me for a second. Now, here's the deal. Catch the woe takes two people because the first individual has to give the woe. All right, so stand right here for me, ma'am. Right, right, stand right here where everybody can see you. All right, so the first individual has to give the woe, so I, I have to throw it to her. That, that's my responsibility, okay? So it's, it's a huge responsibility. You think it's funny, I'm going to make you do it in a second. Um, so, but you, 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 have to, you have to give it, and, then, and it's her responsibility to catch it, okay? So now here's what she told me that I really liked. She said, it's unique to you. So it's not really like a, you don't have to do the exact thing. However you do it is however big you want to do it. So you can get very expressive with it, or it can be kind of lame, depending on how old and lame you are. Okay? And so here we go. All right? So I'm going to throw the woe. Miss Valerie here is going to catch the woe. Are you ready? All right. Here we go. Throw it. Catch it. Oh! Oh! We're doing another one. Hold on. Here we go, Valerie. All right. You got to give me, give me real expressive. Big expressive. You ready? Here it comes. Catch the woe. Oh, throw it back. Throw it back. Oh! Come here, Val. Come here. All right. We finna throw some woes out here to some of these people. All right. No, no. Come here. Come here. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. All right. Here we go. Who who, who you think can catch the woe? Looking at him. Who you think can catch the woe? Jamal. <laughs> All right. Throw Jamal the woe. Throw Jamal the woe. 
It's, it's unique to you, sir. Whatever the zeal of the Holy Spirit is in your bones, the joy of the Lord. All right, throw him the woe. Throw him the woe. Oh! Throw him back. Throw him back. Oh! Catch the woe. Give it up for Valerie real quick. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you. You can go right back down there. All right, I'm not done. Y'all thought y'all thought were lucky. They're like, oh, thank God, he's done. I'm throwing the woe to somebody. John Lowe. John Lowe. John Lowe, you ready? Stand up. Pretend like you love Jesus. Here we go. You ready? Throwing the woe. Catching the woe. Catching the woe. All right. We got to take this to another level. I'm going to throw it again. This time when they catch it, I want you to go crazy in this place. Can y'all do that? Whatever's crazy to you. If crazy to you is, then be crazy. If crazy to you is like, wow, I'm like you're at a stadium, be crazy, all right? Let's see, who's my victim? Marquia, you got me? You, you ain't got me? <laughs> so who, who's, who's willing to catch the woe for me? Who's willing to catch the woe for me? Melanie, you got me? Here we go, Melanie. You ready? All right, y'all ready? Melanie just volunteered in the middle of church. Like 200 people, she's volunteering to catch the ball. Y'all better cheer her on. You ready? I'm throwing it. Ready? Here we go. Catch the ball. Oh! 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 She caught the wall. Y'all are like, where did we just come into? There's no way this is a church. That's the problem. What does this have to do with the Bible, right? We'll pray and go home. Is that cool? Watch what it says in verse 6. When they did so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break. Can I take you into the childish way that I read the Bible? If I'm on a boat with about four dudes, and we've been trying to catch fish all night, and all of a sudden... Because the real peaceful guy that's been kind of floating around for the past few days tells me to put the net on this side, and I do it, and this time the net comes up, and the strands of the net are breaking because there's so many fish. I'm that one dude that would be on the boat that would go, whoa! Right? Anybody? I got any more whoa people in here? Like, whoa! I'm going to eat some of that, right? Like, whoa. And so I'm just understanding that they're on this boat, and they have this catch, and the fish start breaking the net, and the guy goes, whoa. You serve a God that wants you to catch the whoa. You got to get that in your head, church. I don't serve a God that wants me to walk through life all pitiful. And he, I serve a God that wants me to catch the whoa. So somebody's got to throw it. Somebody's got to give me the opportunity, right? If without Valerie, I don't have the opportunity to catch the woe. But because I was given the opportunity, now I can catch the woe. And what Jesus is doing when he asks you to give, when he asks you to serve, when he asks you to spend his time, when he asks you to invest your resources, when Jesus asks you to give, he's given you an opportunity to catch the woe. But don't miss it. Because verse 6 said something really interesting. It said, when they did so. Which means this. The woe always comes after the so. 
you don't get the woe without the so. There has to be a moment where you trust God with your resources, with yourself, with your family, with your time. There has to be a moment where your sacrifice moves into a sowing. And when you sow, you start to recognize that God's given you an opportunity for the woe. So a couple days ago, I got the opportunity to sit at a, at a table in a restaurant with a couple by the name of Jonathan and Christina. Jonathan and Christina live in Clarksville, Tennessee, which is about an hour away from here. And they heard about us through our relationship with LifePoint Church in Clarksville. And so I think, I think they said about six weeks or so ago, I'm not sure the exact date, they started listening to the podcast of Victory Church. Did you know that people are listening to the podcast of our church that don't go to church here? Are you showing people the podcast from the church here? I'm believing, I'm hearing people talk about how their coworkers are hearing about it and they're listening to it. And it's incredible. So this couple is an hour away from here. They have three kids, three beautiful kids. And they start listening to the podcast of the church. And their words, they said they grew more in those six weeks than they had in six years spiritually. That's a testimony to God, not to our church. But it's a blessing to hear. And so they said, we wanted to be a part of it so bad that we had to be there in person. They were like, we wanted to be there in person. So one Sunday morning, they drove an hour all the way from Clarksville, and they came to church here at 9.30 in the morning. Some of you, you struggle to get 10 minutes here at 9.30. They drove an hour to get here to come to church, and they loved it. it was, they came during at the movies. They said it, it felt like it was church and a date night rolled in one. I love it. And they learned about the carnival, and they are like, we can't miss the carnival. So then they came back a couple weeks later to the carnival, and then they've been coming pretty faithfully. I don't know if they're here. I haven't been able to see yet. But they've been coming pretty faithfully, driving an hour to church. And so we go to lunch with them. And, and they said, yeah, we're, we're going to put our house on the market today. And they said, we're going to drive around Smyrna, Tennessee, and we're going to look for a place to live. And we're working on getting, he said, I had four interviews trying to get a new job. And we were just blown away by that concept. And I'm like, what's going on? And here's exactly his words. He said, there's something special happening at Victory Church. Right? And I love this. He said, and we just want to be a part of it. He said, we don't know what we can do. He said, janitors. I said, hey, that's my job. Chill out. <laughs> but in that moment, y'all, here was the moment for me. I sat back in my chair and I went, wow. Wow. I know 18 people moved here to help plant the church, but they're all clinically insane. <laughs> if you meet them, they have problems. But to know that God's still doing it? I was talking to Amber and Andrew, one of the couples that moved here from Memphis to help us plant the church. And I said, can you believe it? People are still wanting to sell their homes, to come be a part of what God's doing in Smyrna, Tennessee. Wow. Wow. And at that moment, watch this. God says, remember when you thought you were sacrificing your house and your job Remember when your kid cried in the driveway because she didn't want to leave her house and you thought you were sacrificing? Troy, you were sowing. And because you sowed, when you did sow, now you're catching the whoa. Can I tell you something about my Jesus? The woe isn't always more money in the bank. Sometimes the woe is a life that's been transformed.
whoa, whoa. And here, if, if the day that I die, here's what I want you to remember me saying. God wants to do something in your life bigger than you to a point where you can't help but say, But then here's the last revelation, and I'll promise I'll pray and get off the stage. But here's the last revelation that literally scared me to death. Is what I almost missed in Luke, in Luke chapter 5, verse 2. Watch this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge, what? Okay, now, this changes the game. First of all, let's understand that Jesus doesn't need Peter's boat. He's recorded walking on water, okay? Doesn't need the boat. He doesn't need Peter's net. There was a moment where he took a boy's sack lunch and fed 15,000 people. He doesn't need those things. The thing about Jesus is that his purpose doesn't need our life. Our lives need his purpose, right? So he goes to Peter and he says to Peter, hey, Can I use your boat? And Peter says, yeah, and then the story goes from there. But what I didn't catch before is that the scripture says there were two boats. What does that mean? That means Jesus has options. That means that if Peter says no, Jesus can just go over to the next boat and say, hey, can I use your boat? The concept is this. Jesus doesn't need your boat, but he wants to give you the opportunity to be able to experience something bigger than you and to be able to catch the woe through your boat. But if you don't let him use it, Jesus has options, right? He's got options. So it's never a moment where God needs you. It's the moment where you need God. And you want to be used by him, and you want him to operate through you. And that's the reason you got a boat to begin with. Jesus could snap his fingers and everything could be done, but he chose to use your life. He chose to use your boat. Hey, can I? This is Jesus. Hey, can, can I use your boat? Can, can I use your net? Just, just ask him. Because I'm about to do a miracle, and I'd really love to include you in it. But what I don't want to do, church, is I don't want to miss my miracle. Because I wasn't willing to give Jesus my net or to let him in my boat. So over the next few weeks, I just want you to really get out of your own mind when it comes to the concept of giving. Everything you've ever been taught, forget it, if it's not right. And, and understand that what giving is is an opportunity for you to be used by God and for God to work through you to be able to impact and change many lives. One thing I want to do this series, and I promise I'll pray and close, is every Sunday that I get up and preach about giving, I want to announce a way that we as a church gave. Last year during Purpose Prevails, Darla and I 
gave the, the, the highest check we've ever written in our entire life. And I don't say that for any praise or anything like that. I say that so that you know I'm leading. I would never ask you to do something that I'm not doing. And we're praying now about what we'll give in this year's Purpose Prevail. But even as a church, we always give. And so we are currently writing and we'll be taking tomorrow morning a check to the Smyrna. I honestly don't even know what you call it. Um, but we're writing a check for $1,000 for the, fan, the, the canned food drive for Smyrna, Tennessee that happens on in, in December. We can't physically be there because we'll be in church. And so you are writing a check for $1,000 and you're taking it to them sometime this week. Brian Hercules will receive it and you will buy however many cans that buys for people who need food during the holidays. You will buy it through money you've already given. Can you give yourself a hand real quick? I just think you deserve to have a hand. You've already done that. You've already done that. We're not asking for another dollar or anything. You've already done that because you're a giving church. And that moment when people who don't have food get food and they go, wow. The wow came after the so, or the woe came after the so. So can I pray over you? Father, we thank you for your faithfulness for your word that is moving, it is, it is alive today, operating in our lives. And Father, we just came out of a series where we were talking about shifting our culture. And I pray that we continue to shift our culture, even into this series, that we would become people who give, give of our time and give of our talent, and give of our resource, so that you can use it to impact the changing of many lives. And I pray that we would realize right now that the purpose for that, the reason for us to give, is not because you need what we have. You're the only reason we have what we got to begin with. But you ask us to give so that we can be a part of something that's bigger than us. And you give us an opportunity to be involved in impacting the lives of other people. So I pray over every person in this room. Pray they'd feel your love, your grace. Pray they'd understand your word. And I pray they'd have that experience that Peter had in that boat with you. Where his life was forever transformed. Because he was a part of something where, where he sowed himself. And God, he experienced a miracle because of it. I pray we don't miss our miracles. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.